Um, have you ever been in a place where uh, you've been really desperate for something, like something you wanted to eat, or like you're thirsty, or you're hungry, or, or whatever it is, desperate for anything that will fill you? Or maybe you've been in a lot of pain, and you wanted to get rid of that pain, you'd take anything to get that pain, get, get that pain away, right? Saw that with the, uh, the uh, Oxycontin debacle a number of years ago. People just kept taking that and stuff like that. And I felt that when I had COVID a number of weeks back. Um, my throat hurt so bad, I would do anything to take that pain away. It was terrible. Um, Kim and I hiked the John Muir Trail a few years back, 240 miles. Uh, total we did and we started from the north and we went south and we got to the end of the highest point in the contiguous United States which is Mount Whitney 14,494 feet above sea level it was absolutely gorgeous if you want to take a, a good hike I would say do it and do not say that you can't because I'll, I would looking out of this room I think any of you could do it um, imagine hiking though for 18 days you're out there in the wilderness right you're you're and and you get to this end and you're camping at the bottom of this mountain and you're looking up at that thing thinking I got to climb that thing the next day. And we did only after waking up to uh, ice uh, covering our tent. It was freezing. We woke up before dawn. It was dark. Uh, we saw little lights as people were going up the mountain already. And we, you know, got our headlamps on and packed up our stuff and we went up. Um, it was long it was arduous, it was, <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. And at one point, when you get near the top, the trail goes to the right, and you have to like go up and over the mountain. But anybody that's doing this hike would take the trail to the left first, because it goes all the way to the tip, tippy top, right? The very 14,494 feet top, right? And then you have to come back down and go, go over that other trail. And um, so we went left. And uh, by, the, by the way, if you don't know, the, the, the company Marmot, there's actually an animal called a marmot. And uh, it's a little, like, groundhog-looking thing. And you have to take your bear canister out with all your food out of your pack when you, when you go left there. Because you can leave your pack, you know, to go up to the top. Because they'll tear your backpack apart looking for food. So that, just a little tidbit of information. But that's I didn't write that in my sermon, but there it is. Anyway, but, for, but w by the time we got to the top of this mountain, we were absolutely exhausted. And for more than two weeks, we had been hiking with, uh, in this wilderness, we had been uh, no cell phone access. And so I took out my cell phone and I, you know, fished around for a week to signal, finally found one, called my dad and uh, found out that our kids were okay, you know, because we hadn't heard from them in over two weeks. And uh, Kim cried. <laughs> and I uh, promptly gave her some whiskey, which was sitting there that people left for other people to celebrate their, their gift to the top, and she took a shot, and that, was, that helped. But the journey was long but over because we had to go back down to the other trail and over the mountain, and um, we thought, down's good, that'll be easy, right? <laughs> but we knew that it was 99 switchbacks down that mountain, this is a high mountain, right? So 99 switchbacks all the way down. And we figured uh, from the wording in the guidebook that, you know, uh, that that would be it. We, once we hit the bottom of the 99 switchbacks, we'd be done. Um, and we also knew that after eating dried food for two weeks, uh, over, well, 18 days, that there would be a, a restaurant at the bottom and I could get a hamburger. And I was very excited about that. But what the guidebook didn't tell you was that, uh, 
from the end of the 99 switchback, it was still miles of long, difficult hiking down the mountain. And when you looked down the mountain, it was deceptive because once you see the end of the 99 switchbacks, it looked like you were done, but you weren't. And we got to that point on the trail and other people are hiking up and we're talking to them. We're like, no, you got a long way to go. And it was very, you know, expectations were shattered. It was very difficult. And we got to the bottom at dusk, you know, it was just getting dark and we were exhausted. We were emotional, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And all my day, in all my days, a hamburger never tasted so good. I'll tell you that right now. And maybe you felt desperation in other ways. I don't know. Uh, in no other way do we feel desperation, though, than with our children, right? Um, when, we, when we see our kids suffering, oh, there's nothing which can placate you in that moment, right? Nothing at all. I've experienced that. My own daughter was tormented by a college professor, an egotistical college professor, who seemed to just want to make her life as miserable as he could. And they kept him away from me on graduation day, because I had already met with the dean, and the, she, she kept him away from me, because I, I, may, I may have taken a poke at him. Uh, I, was, I was that mad. And he, he's since been fired for his antics, and I feel very vindicated in that, right? And I have to pray for forgiveness, even when I think of him still to, to today, because she, she's my baby. She's my little girl, right? And I have friends who have been through worse with their children, They've, you know, where their kids have been taken advantage of by evil people and drug use and sexual deviancy and things like that. And they've uh, felt powerless, absolutely powerless to defend and guide their children in those times. Now, this series is about doubt. We're two weeks in, I think, if I'm not mistaken, uh, in the Christian life. And our doubt can come from disappointment, right? And, uh, but it can also desperately drive us to search for answers and help from Christ, right? In Mark chapter 9, uh, page 689 of your pew Bibles, if you want to turn there, Mark chapter 9, there's a story where Jesus meets a father who was in desperate need of Jesus to heal his son. And uh, the man's son was possessed by this unclean spirit, if you remember, and uh, he would go into convulsions and things like that. And his desperation is absolutely palpable in this story. Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 20 through 26, it says this. They brought him, meaning the boy, and when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered, and it has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, if you can do anything, he says, take pity on us and help us. Now, I don't subscribe to the idea that this was epilepsy or anything like that. It says that it was an evil spirit. Jesus cast out an evil spirit. I believe that. Um, but imagine being this father, powerless, absolutely powerless to help his little boy. Years of care, years of tear, years of frustration. He's probably gone to every charlatan, every shaman, hoping that they could do something, and nothing has worked. He's exhausted all of his resources, still nothing to this day. So you can't blame the guy for saying, if you can do anything, right? If, but if he had never met Jesus until now, right? This is his first encounter with Christ. 
You know, he has probably heard all the stories of healing and miracles that he has done in others. That might give him a little hope and, you know, but even in hearing them, this father really doesn't believe that something can be done since experience in life has taught him to doubt, right? And I love Jesus' response. Verse 23, if you can, question mark, right? If you can, everything's possible for one who believes. Now, if I was a, that father, I may have gotten a little testy at that. Maybe, I don't know. I, I may have launched into a whole litany of, you know, this lengthy description of, of all the different ways how I've tried to elicit help to no avail, right? But this man is much more mature and much more insightful than me. And you, we listened to his response in verse 24. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief, exclamation point. I do believe, but help me unbe- uh, you know, overcome my unbelief. Now that is probably the most on- honest answer I've ever heard in my life, right? It probably is. It's not, it, it, that, that is, I think, what we all feel when we look at these situations, right? We want to believe, and we do at some level, but experience has just just hasn't afforded us sort of that belief uh, to solidify in our hearts. It's not come about that way. After all, this is the first encounter that he has had with Jesus. He's never met anybody like this, right? What can Jesus do beyond doctors and beyond snake oil salesmen, right? And it continues, verse 25, when Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And the spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out and the boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead, but he obviously wasn't. So we can believe God and still struggle to believe at the same time right? And Jesus will accept us in that moment. I really do believe that, even in our struggles. It's wise not to hide our doubt, but bring our unbelief before a loving God, even in sort of a guarded hope and a guarded expectation, right? Because when disappointment becomes the norm in our lives, doubt may be the natural reaction in every situation, right? This story is one of desperation and hope and healing. The statement of the child's father is complex, yet also comforting for anyone who has struggled with doubt. I believe, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. In that moment, he believed Jesus could perform this miracle yet struggled with doubt and i think we 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 can all relate to that right he had seen others try and fail maybe he sought different healers and doctors to help his son you know only to be let down every single time he's still dealing with the same stuff and we see in verses 17 and 18 that the disciples couldn't help which might remind us and humble us that we're not jesus and he is and we're not you know all that kind of stuff But can Jesus handle our questions and our struggles? 
I think he can. This guy's like, if you can. And Jesus is like, if I can, bang, and he heals his son, right? And I tend to interpret Jesus' words to this demonic force or whatever it is as strong and authoritative, not wimpy, right? He didn't ask, he commanded because he has authority over all things. Furthermore, he didn't need that guy, and this is important, he didn't need that guy to be 100% confident of Christ's ability. He didn't need that. He's Jesus. He is God incarnate, right? He is the creator of all reality who put all the stars in the sky, which number millions for every grain of sand on this earth. He is Jesus. And I have studied the scriptures, a little bit, right? Just a little bit. I've studied them, and there in no way do the scriptures indicate that Christ's ability to move in our lives is limited by our level of belief. And I want you to really remember that because health and wealth preachers, prosperity gospel preachers may claim that someone doesn't have enough faith and that's the reason something doesn't happen when they pray for them, but they would be dead wrong in that according to the scriptures. That is only a mask for failure on their own faulty theology. Some people had faith in the scriptures, others didn't, and he moved in all of them. There are so many accounts of Jesus healing the masses of people that we cannot expect that every single one of those people had rock-solid faith. They were just people on the side of the road hoping for something in a world where they didn't have modern medicine, right? But maybe what he is limited to, and this is a question, this is a humble question from me, maybe what he is limited by is our indifference, our silence, right? By our not even trying to ask, if you think about it. Giving lip service on a Sunday, right? Doing the Christian thing, but never really having a prayer life, never really going to him with any request at all. Because deep down, we don't really believe it. We trust more in our abilities and our money and our wit and our intellect and all that kind of stuff, which all fall short, by the way. We find that out. We all know that. When you get older, maybe when you're 20, you're, you're all that. But when you're 55, which I am Thursday, you can send all gifts to, no, I'm just kidding. But it is my birthday Thursday. Um, uh, we, so we trust in all this and it all falls apart, right? Even, even, even trust in modern medicine runs out. Modern science runs out, and we end up on our knees. For goodness sakes, we all got vaccinated, we all trusted in the science, and we all got COVID anyway, didn't we? Not a political statement, just saying, right? Wouldn't it be better to give Jesus the chance in the very first, first uh, moment in all situations and at all times? You know, in reference to money, Malachi chapter 3, verse 10 says, says this, um, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. God doesn't usually say that, right? But test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Uh, what, what book is it? Uh, where it talks about being packed down and to overflowing, right? What, I forget, the Hosea maybe? I forget. Anyway, what's that? 
pressed down, shaken together to overflowing. I think, it, I, I forget the book anyway, but um, not a scholar. But anyway, but can't that principle be applied in other areas of emotional and physical healing? I mean, I think our bodies, our lives, our emotional well-being, our spiritual well-being is probably much more important than our financial well-being. I don't think that's a stretch by any means in some senses. But we can build our faith by giving Jesus the chance to work, to actually interact with him, by asking uh, in faith even when our hearts don't really fully believe that he can answer it, right? Nikki Gumbel, for those of you that are uh, attending the Alpha course, you're going to hear a few. I, I love his references and stuff, so I'm going to reproduce them here. So if you're bored with that, sorry. But Nikki Gumbel, the, the, the pastor that, from England who developed the Alpha course, really sweet guy. Uh, when he was still an atheist, as a young man, he was traveling America in, in his 20s, and he, his bag and all of his belongings, his money and everything else got stolen, and it left him only with his passport, but he also had this, this bus ticket that was prepaid that he could just travel around anywhere, but he was totally alone without, that's all he had, passport and bus ticket right? And so he walked city streets, and he didn't know what to do, and he didn't know anybody. And then in desperation, he cried out to a God that he didn't even believe in. And he said, if you are real, because I'm not really sure if you are, please let me run into somebody I know, right? And lo and behold, the next time he got on a bus, he, he stepped on the bus, and this old friend he met this old friend sitting there who encouraged him and then gave him some money uh, to get by. And Nikki said, I just don't believe it, right? Coincidence or God? Coincidence or God, right? He asked and something happened. Funny thing was that he even considered that a coincidence at the time. And it would be years until he gave his life to Christ. Even that experience you know, <clears throat> belief didn't make, it didn't make his belief, <clears throat> excuse me, materialize in that moment. He had to have other experiences. Since he states, I've found, since then he states, I've found that when I pray, coincidence, <laughs> coincidences happen, and when I don't, they don't, right? Is it a coincidence that coincidence happens, right? Or is it Jesus, I really, it's, it's a, well, I'm a Christian preacher, so you know my answer, right? <laughs> Life has a way, though, of pounding at your shores to make sand of all that you thought was so rock solid in you, right? We all know that when we go get older, and God will allow that in your life in order to reveal himself to you. But it does no good for us to give lip service on a Sunday um, while walking around in desperation, not crying out to him, not reaching out to him, convinced that he doesn't care and he won't move anyway. Why bother, right? Why bother? Or to put on a smiley face, right? <laughs> and, you know, acting as if nothing wrong all the while your whole life is a house fire burning down. When you could just turn around and you can ask and say, Jesus, I need your intervention here. All that I am is not enough. Nothing I have done works. I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. And then see what coincidences happen.
Look for them. Write them down. Write that prayer down and then look for them. Jesus didn't reject this father when he spoke of his struggle with belief at, at all. The man believed, but his faith was weak. And that Greek word, uh, apostia, translated unbelief in Mark, means weak in faith. He was just weak in faith. Remember, mustard seed, if you have just a mustard seed, just a little bit. This man is holding this tension between believing and yet still having questions. A beautiful display of honesty, to say the least. I love this guy. That's the way I feel many days. But Christians can kind of be harsh sometimes towards other believers who struggle with doubt, right? We sometimes have a theology which leaves no room for questioning or struggling with, with, you know, in our walk with Christ. We see faith as unwavering loyalty, no questions asked. You always got to be in a good mood and have a smile on your face. But the Christian community is important for those of us that deal with doubts, right? And I think we all do. How we treat each other in the family of God affects their connection to God, doesn't it? Church is a unique and difficult place, uh, an honest place in my mind. Some claim that it's a business. I, I, by the way, don't ever say that to me. I, I just don't like it. I disagree. It has business aspects to it, that's for sure, like any family does, but it's much more like a family than it is a business. A family where we bear with one another in love. We walk things out. We stay at the table. The problem is that some in the family want to question as a skeptic and not as a believer, which we've said for a little while now. A skeptic without a desire to be led to Christ. To question to the point of disbelief instead of the goal of growing towards it. But this man, if you notice, in his desperation, questioned towards faith. I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. That's the way he said it. His was an honest answer revealing he wanted to see Jesus work, right? But those who want the, the church to give up on orthodoxy and simply acknowledge and agree with their hopeless nihilism, 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 potato, potato, however you say it, can't be afforded that luxury in church because Jesus is real and he does work and we know it and we proclaim it to their benefit. Community is important. But community for community's sake is not what the Bible teaches. Just to be in the room together is not what we teach. Ours is community to glorify Jesus, to glorify Christ, right? And community and the unity found within it come from shared belief under Jesus. That doesn't, this doesn't mean that we don't openly share our doubts or have our doubts or work through our doubts, but we do so in a way that this man did, right? I believe, help me over, overcome my unbelief. There's a very big difference. Which is very different from uh, the way that many are saying th things these days. You know, instead they're saying, I don't and I will not believe and you must agree with me. Giving very elaborate and complex and confusing reasons which have much more to do with their felt need than, than the truth that is being revealed to them. 
They want to be allowed to poison the sincere efforts of others, the sincere faith journey of others, since they've long since given up on Jesus. But faith, although not easy, is simply choosing to believe Jesus even when you feel otherwise, even when you don't agree, or even when it's difficult to believe. It's giving him the chance. It's pursuing him still to move and work even when you don't feel all there. James Catford in an interview with Dallas Willard said this, doubt comes to us in many forms. We may be fools to say it, but we might wake up one day and find at a profound level that we doubt the very existence of God. Or perhaps we wrestle with the existential twins of unbelief. Either we doubt if God is really powerful enough to act in our world or if he is, whether he cares enough about us to do so. Whatever form our doubt may take, it's important to acknowledge it is an elephant in the room of our followership, followership of Jesus, of Christ. The truth is that everyone operates under the assumptions of what we believe to be real. Let me say that twice. Everyone operates under the assumptions of what we believe to be real which is why I often ask in sermons, do we really believe this? Do we really believe this? It's a good question. Do we believe Jesus to be real or not? That's really the question. Not that we're certain in every little detail about this whole faith thing and Christian thing and all that stuff and every, every situation that we're absolutely confident, but do we trust even when doubt is evident in us? No one escapes belief. No one. Atheist to Christian, nobody escapes belief. We can believe that God is not real and that right and wrong are simply determined by what we want as long as we don't step on other people's toes, which, by the way, doesn't work. We all have belief, Christian or otherwise. We don't escape that. And what we have to understand is you can't be noncommittal. At at the end of the day, you can't be noncommittal. You believe something, whether you believe in Jesus or otherwise, right? But you don't have to be absolutely certain in every single detail to have belief. That's not insincere or disingenuous or whatever. For instance, you may choose a political party and you might believe that party to be right. But do you actually believe that your party is absolutely right in all circumstances? I doubt it. You'd be a fool to think that. You believe your spouse loves you, great, wonderful, but you can't say you believe that everything your spouse does or communicates to you is communicating love to you. That would be naive, although I'm pretty good with my wife. You believe getting vaccinated will protect you due due to the science, but you can't believe 100% that you won't get COVID since experience already tells us otherwise. Again, not a political statement, just a truth statement. That's what it is. Dallas Willard said in that interview, he said, it is possible to go to heaven with a lot of doubts. And it's possible to go to hell with a lot of certainty. People do it every day. 
but you can't stay at an abstract level for very long. You're going to have to bring it down to a practical level with questions like, what do you believe about Jesus? You don't have to be certain about anything you're not certain about. In fact, and this is very interesting, he says this, certainty is some, isn't something you can choose anyway. Certainty and uncertainty aren't things that are under the will. We have to help people understand belief is something which comes along as you experience. You don't have to fake anything. The way faith works, he says, is this. You put into practice what you believe. If you're attracted to Jesus, what do you believe about him which you can act on right now? Experience shows again and again that when you, when you allow people to act on the little that they do believe, the rest will follow. This is the faith journey, right? This is the faith journey. So express your doubt as believer and not as skeptic. Choose to acknowledge doubt and ask Jesus to help you overcome your unbelief like this man did. That he will act in your life, that he will actually do something and we'll see what coincidences come about, right? Because experience builds upon itself and faith will grow and you will find yourself saying, you know what? I do believe. I do believe. You can choose to follow without being totally certain, right? A friend of mine, Steve Smallman, local uh, pastor who's now retired, once wrote a book called Spiritual Birthline that I've, I've talked about before, but it talks about this, over, this arch of faith in life, right? Uh, that we usually see people have, as having a linear line of faith where you're going away from God and God knocks you off your horse in, the, in this Pauline experience and you make an about face, now you're following Jesus, right? And maybe that is more true of some of us. I thought it was more true of me until I read this book and then I realized uh, that I, I was different. Because in reality, many people have an arch of faith in life. They start out not as a Christian. They're walking away from God, not believing in Jesus, not believing in all this stuff. But over time, they see God work in their life in little bitty ways. You know, they, the things that they just can't, they stick in them and they can't get rid of. They can't, they can't deny. Uh, little by little, they come about face to the other way and they start to follow Jesus. And there's no Pauline knocking off the horse moment for them. It's, it's just a gentle baking into faith. And they say, you know, when I was younger, I didn't believe. But now after seeing Jesus work throughout my years of life, I do believe. I shared that with my father years ago. Two very different personalities, my father and I. Very accountant and quiet. Then you got me, right? And he said, that's me. That's, he got very excited. He said, that's me. That's how I've come to faith in my life. See, this man probably walked away from this interaction saying, I wanted to believe, but I didn't really believe, right? But look what he did. My son is safe. Something happened here. Maybe it was the final nail in the coffin of his atheistic ten tendencies. I don't know. The question is, do we give Jesus the chance to act or do we just explain things away which aren't really easily explainable, awayable? if you want to say it that way. 
Do we give him the chance to act building belief and faith in our hearts? God shows compassion to those who struggle uh, with doubt. And we as a church have the opportunity as a, as a community to show that same compassion to each other. But will we also in that proclaim loudly that Jesus is the answer no matter what the struggle, no matter what we're going through, no matter what we're feeling, because we have seen it and we testify to it. That's why we encourage one another. We may have doubt. But we say along with this man, I believe, help me with my unbelief. Approaching faith and approaching life as a believer, just with more to learn, rather than a skeptic that wants to just embrace dark nihilism, right? So give Jesus the chance this week. Sit down and have a prayer time. And ask. Just ask. And I would encourage you to journal of that. Write down what you're praying and look for the answers because I think they will come. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for what you're saying through this passage to us. We thank you that you are not one who crushes us when we doubt or crushes us when we struggle, crushes us when we don't feel 100% there because I think all of us, and I think you know this, Lord, that all of us feel not 100% there almost 100% of the time. And we thank you that we have a God of grace and a God of mercy that loves us and cares for us and walks things out with us instead of just turning your back on us. You are so absolutely wonderful, and we give you all the glory for that. In Christ's name we pray, amen.